Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to The Conversation. Today I have with me Harry Allen. Harry is the co-founder and chief relationship officer of Studio Bank. With a purpose of empowering creators, Studio Bank launched in June of 2018 to become the first new locally headquartered bank in Nashville since 2008 and is one of the city's fastest growing companies. Harry is also a bit of a unicorn. He's a Nashville native. Not many of you around anymore. That's right. No, fifth generation Nashvilleian. So you know, I tell people I'm a unicorn with with a horn that's longer than than most. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'm not sure if it's so much that you're not many of you around. It's just on a ratio basis, you can be hard to find given everyone else that is here now. Yes, which I mean, honestly, Brian, it's exciting for me because I enjoy meeting new people from different places and perspectives. And Nashville has certainly offered that. So that's one of the things I wanted to get in with you, get into with you is I was doing some homework. I mean, we know each other through Mm -hmm. Nashville connections, but when you go through the CV and the resume and LinkedIn and you, and you Google Harry Allen, Nashville, you're the community work that you do is unbelievable. Mm. Was that something that was driven into you early from your family or that's just something that you've developed over time? That's a great question. So my my family is probably where the majority of my interest in, in being involved in the community comes. 
My dad is a pastor. My mom was a public school teacher for 35 years in, in Nashville, retired. And so being the son of a, a pastor and a teacher, I think being interested in the problems of our community and engaged in the solving of those problems is just what we did for fun. So toy drives, coat drives, ministry, teaching and tutoring were embedded in, in me at an early age. Um, and there was a quote that my dad would always say is like, service is the rent you pay for the, the, for the space you occupy in this world. And so I just believe that. But you took a little bit of a different path. You're still of service to community, but you very much have become an entrepreneur, especially yes. since this latest iteration of your professional life. Was that something that you always had a passion for, or were you surprised by yourself becoming a small <laughs> business owner? Definitely surprised by it. So I fell into banking as an intern when I was 18 years old, and for the most part, stuck with banking. I left in 2008. And was the CFO of Big Brothers Big Sisters. So this is, you know, an example of following impact and, and service. But what I realized after being in that role, CFO at Big Brothers Big Sisters for three years, is the perspective I had gained in terms of operating an, an entity. We had 51 employees, about a four million dollar budget. I could be that much better of a servant and banker um, to business owners, and so I came back to banking. Um, so even though I've been in financial services, entrepreneurship, that uh, focus on impact and service is still there. I just think community banking lends itself really, really well to making a difference in the community. We're storing capital to folks that need it. And then those who are successful, we're helping them self safeguard it. So it's my community service. You, you referenced the second time around in banking. Could you maybe give people some context on what that first journey looked like for you? Yes. So at, I was an intern with a large regional bank, SunTrust Bank, which has recently been rebranded re as Truist after the BB&T SunTrust merger. And I started on the retail side. So I was in branch banking for two summers and then commercial banking, underwriting business credit uh, for two summers while I was at Belmont. When I graduated from Belmont, I was offered a job in their in SunTrust management training program in Atlanta. So I spent a year in the training program, came back to Nashville as an underwriter and relationship manager in their institutional and uh, government banking group. So all of my clients were 501c3s, private K through 12 schools, colleges, universities, and municipalities. Um, and for me, it was, a, an, again, another perfect blend of impact with, you know, using my financial knowledge and expertise. 2000, right. the big crash happened. That's when I left. I left SunTrust in December of 2008. I didn't know what was coming right behind me, but it ended up being a perfect time to have a sabbatical from, from banking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this seems to be a theme in your life, this marriage between, you know, this, the business world plus the, the service oriented world. And you've been able to, to thread that needle mm -hmm. uh, pretty well throughout your career so far. Yeah. And there are so many examples of business leaders that have, have 
figured out how to make a difference. And I think Nashville in particular is a community that expects that of our business leaders. And, you know, in other communities as well, you look at building names at institutions like schools and universities and, you know, the names on those buildings are often entrepreneurs, right? Who have an affinity for a particular cause or, or institution. So I don't feel I'm an anomaly. I feel that the best leaders among us figure out ways to make a difference. Well, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, but you remind me of an old school banker, like a throwback, like your community banker that you would see at Rotary or you'd see at lunch. Absolutely. I mean, people, you know, when I introduce folks to Studio Bank, it's usually when they're local, have some resources, but aren't going to be best served by some of these bigger wirehouse groups, right? And you just... I don't know. I figure you'll take good care of them. And so I send them over to you all. That's kind of how I think about it. No, that's exactly right. And not only will we take good care of them, but because we are a community bank with bankers who are engaged in the community, we can leverage our contacts and for the benefit of our clients, right? So you're meeting Harry, but you're getting access to Harry's connections and, and Rolodex. And Harry has a vested interest in you being successful because of our partnership. That's what I knew Nashville would always need, even as we're growing, our local banks and institutions looking to partner with the owners and operators here in our Nashville community. So I heard your name before, but the first time we actually met was over coffee when you were raising this de novo bank. Yeah. And you enlightened me by telling me that, I can't remember the stats now, but there hadn't been a newly chartered Tennessee bank in what was the the dates yeah yeah, it was about 10 years 2008 was the last true de novo upstart bank in nashville that was capstar yep so it had been a long time why great question there are a number of reasons the the primary one i think is the regulatory hurdle after the downturn in the economy in 2008 it became harder to get a new bank charter and the de novo period. So the, you know, intense auditing review period for a new bank was extended from three years to, I believe, seven. And so not many people want to sign up for a seven-year probationary period. Um, In 2015, you know, the government started to realize that we had lost a lot of community banks after the downturn and wanted to invite new bank applications and organizers to consider it. So they rolled that period back to three years. Um, But, you know, that was from 2008 to 2015. You literally saw no new bank starts. And even since we started in 18, there haven't been many. When we applied, we were one of eight applications in the queue in the country. And, you know, still one of very few that have launched and, and grown in the way that we have since, since 2018. And let's put that out there that, in my experience and opinion, that regulatory environment, that washout from the Great Recession adversely impacts, you know, people of color, people of lower socioeconomic means. They just don't have the resources or the qualifications to work with a Bank of America or, a, you know, one of these big global yeah. multinational banks. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And I mean, 
in so many areas, people of color and uh, communities that have traditionally and historically been underserved always fare worse than the rest of, of the economy. Um, and so access to capital is, is no different from the disparity in health outcomes and, and education and, and on and on. Um, so you're, you're exactly right. You know, community banks are making decisions at the community level by credit com committees that are made up of local citizens and we're approving loans for neighbors. And so when, you know, a minority business owner applies at Bank of America, you know, this is not a criticism of large banks, but those processes are centralized. And so the underwriting takes place way outside of the community. And they're just looking at the, the numbers on the application, which doesn't always tell the complete story and underserves people. It was an adage, you know, pre-Great Recession and, and pre-COVID, but I think almost has been twisted a little bit that the people who don't need the money have the easiest access to it, where the people who really do need it have the most trouble accessing it. Just seems like the regulatory environment is almost on its head compared to how it should be behaving in order to help the economy grow. Has that been yeah. your experience as well? Yeah, it's tough. You know, the capital that banks deploy are the deposits of our account holders, right? So, you know, the amount of risk that a traditional commercial bank is allowed to take is, is very small. If I'm lending Brian's checking account dollars to ABC company, I have to be 99% right that that money is going to come back to me. And so when you look at issues of generational poverty and just some of the um, disparities where, you know, a, a very talented Black entrepreneur does not have, you know, or may not have the balance sheet strength from a personal standpoint of a counterpart who has inherited, you know, land or resources and it becomes a more difficult assessment of, of risk and identification of multiple repayment sources. We've tried to, you know, within the guardrails of, of our regulations, because we're not regulated any differently, we've tried very intentionally to partner with folks in getting access to capital and have been um, really excited about some of the public-private partnerships that help us serve all of, all of Nashville. This is my editorial comment, but to your point about the checking account being used to lend to ABC Corp, that applies, but if you're really, really big, the feds will just bail you out. So you don't have to worry about your risk profile, but I'm saying that, not you. Yeah, so, and I'm not commenting. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah just... no, I understand. So when we first met, you were raising for this, this new bank mm -hmm. and I was super impressed. It's, it was a different pitch. First question, why did Nashville need a new bank at that time? Yeah. So in the time, in, around 2000, Pinnacle Bank, a local Nashville bank started. And between 2000 and 2008, you had a number of, of new banks start. When Avenue exited in 2016, we looked at the, the market and the local banks um, that had started from 2000, and a lot of them 
fit a similar profile. The banks were more valuable than they had ever been. Management teams who founded the organizations were nearing retirement. And we saw, you know, in a community like Nashville that has honored local banking for decades, a number of um, banks potentially exiting. And so that was part of the case. The other piece is when you look at the success of those banks and the amount of market share they were taking from large regional banks, um, it underscored the, the opportunity of retaining local banking in, in this market. You know, the six banks that started since 2000, I think took 20% of a, of a banking market that was tripling in size. And so it proved to us this demonstrated preference for, for local banks in Nashville. And, you know, when we filed our application, we anticipated disruption. We've seen that disruption um, now that we've been operating uh, almost four years. And I think it'll continue to happen. What was that experience like to raise private capital for a new bank in town? Yeah, you know, for someone who um, this is my hometown, the only city I ever called home. For me, that was the most fun part of my unlikely entrepreneurial venture because it was storytelling. And it started with, you know, audiences of folks that I had known and, and trusted for a long, long time, telling the story, casting the vision and seeing people respond. And so we were hugely successful in our capital raise. We intentionally wanted most of the capital to come from citizens in Nashville. The goal uh, was about half of the 40 million to come from Nashville. And I think we raised um, between the seed round and the main round over 46 million from the community. And that was a lot of fun. You know, it was hard because we could have raised the capital from institutional investors who love Nashville as a banking market much quicker and without presenting to over a thousand people. But it was it was more meaningful and I think has led to the early success of, of the bank. And in many ways, same playbook as Avenue did, right? You get these evangelists in town who, you know, have this network was, effect and bring in the community, right? Actually, that was very different from from mm -hmm. Avenue. Um, Avenue was majority capitalized by institutional investors. The board of directors was, you know, a, a fantastic board, but in terms of the coalition building its studio, it is very different. So not only did we put together a fantastic governing board of directors, through the capital raise, we identified individuals to serve on a founders advisory board that was over 50 members, reflected um, industry diversity, demographic diversity, true coalition building. And then you add on top of those boards over 400 local investors throughout the community who are um, evangelizing, uh, to use your word. That network effect was not the Avenue Playbook. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club, where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer -peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. Hmm. Okay, interesting. To talk about kind of 
coalition building and these industry verticals, you really leaned into the entertainment space, Mm -hmm. which, you know, for people not, people who don't live in Nashville, we think they may think of Nashville as Music City and the branding and all that. But on a GDP perspective, it's not huge, right? I mean, it, it makes good headlines and it's branding, but this is really a healthcare town. Why did you choose to carve out this niche within the entertainment space? So I will say it's not the only niche. So Studio Bank employs a vertical strategy in you know, all of the sectors that make up Nashville's economy. So we have a fantastic leader of our music, arts, and entertainment banking that knows that industry really well. I bring nonprofit and education banking expertise. We have folks that specialize in healthcare and uh, professional services like uh, physician practices, law firms, and commercial real estate. And so when you think about the diverse Nashville economy, we have placed bankers to serve each of those areas with firsthand expertise. You've got a music banker who was a performing artist and songwriter. You've got a nonprofit banker who was a nonprofit CFO, founding board chair of a nonprofit and has served the community in many, many ways. So that that was a part of the strategy, not just arts and entertainment. Our name Studio Bank is definitely a hat tip to the brand of Nashville as a music city, um, but it's more than, than just music for sure. So you're a few years in now, you've had great growth, a lot of wind in your sails considering what's happening in Nashville. What are some of the biggest surprises you've had that unexpected things? I mean, there's probably a lot, but you could give us a highlight reel. Yeah, there may be a lot. I, you know, I think the most obvious one is the pandemic in our first few years as a bank, right? Two of the three and a half years that we've existed as a company has been in the middle of a global pandemic that was extremely disruptive for small businesses in particular, right? That came out of nowhere. But I think that the ability to prove value and, and Brian, the, the power of a relationship was absolutely highlighted in how we serve the community during such a challenging time. And for our team was a call to service. I mean, we felt like we were on the front lines, not sewing masks and you know figuring out how to vaccinate people, but in terms of business owners trying to pivot their businesses, having a banker to, to pick up the phone and call um, and access these programs like the Paycheck Protection Program and you know, it, it just was extremely meaningful. And so we grew during that period in significant ways, beating projections, utilizing the technology we invested in from the upstart in a re- remote setting, right? Like all of our bankers were working from kitchen tables and home offices and um, we didn't miss a beat. That was a surprise. And a good lesson for me as a business owner, you know, these big banks, they're good for certain things, right? Their cost of capital, et cetera. But when it comes to something like the PPP loans, you better have a good local relationship bank that you have their cell phone and they will they will pick up the phone and help you because yep. when that all happened, some of the people I know in my business who only had big bank relationships, 
you're probably a pretty small fish in a big pond yeah. there. Yeah. Well, and, and you, you remember, you know, two weeks prior to the pandemic, Nashville had a 51 mile tornado that impacted individuals and businesses. And so, you know, Studio Bank was able to call every single client in those zip codes that were impacted and ask, what do you need from your bank? And that was extremely meaningful to people. And that level of service absolutely uh, benefited our clients during the pandemic as well. So you just did another capital raise, right? So you're taking on some growth capital, is that? Yeah, in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, yeah. uh, that fall, we raised another nine and a half million or so in capital to, to continue to grow, yeah. And could you give some perspective just because I, I think it's lost on a lot of people like, what are the tiers here in terms of bank sizes, depository numbers, just to give people some context where yep. you are in your growth trajectory? Yeah. So when we entered the Nashville market, I mean, it's like Davidson County and the contiguous counties. We were the 65th bank operating in that MSA. And we were at the bottom, right? The 65th largest <laughs> bank in Nashville. I think last year's numbers put us right around 24 or 25. And so we have climbed up that chart from 65 to, to 25. I think the number is now 61 because of the disruption in exits. And so we're, we ended uh, 2021 right around $600 million. The banks at the bottom of that list are like 30 million. I think the total market is a, a little above $64 billion. And so we've got, I don't know, what is that, 1% of market share. But in terms of the rate of growth, we, you know, we gr are growing at a rate faster than the other depository institutions in our market, which means we're not just benefiting from the growth of Nashville, but we're we're taking market share um, from other institutions. And what does it look like for the next two or three years, do you think? Just continued growth? Are there big milestones that you're looking to, to hit? And then where do you trigger certain other regulatory oversight provisions? Yeah, so I think, you know, in the intermediate term, it's more organic growth. I think that we um, and the management team and, and Aaron, Aaron Dorn, our CEO, I'll feel that Nashville presents a lot of opportunity for good organic growth for the foreseeable future. From a regulatory standpoint, I think a billion dollars is the next in total assets is, is a threshold. And you know, we're a high growth company, so we will be a billion dollar bank someday. So, you know, staffing the bank and, and creating operational structures that allow us to scale is kind of where, where our mind is right now. And it's focused on organic growth in our, in our community. So let's talk about the community. Fifth generation Ashevillian, you're in my backyard, very involved in, in the community. Rotary, mm -hmm. uh, I believe Nashville General, Meharry, yep. uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, all these great organizations. You know, if you're mayor or when you become mayor, I don't know if you have political mm -hmm. aspirations, but... Yeah. <laughs> What are, you know, you know, the community really well. You talk to small businesses all the time that are based here. Obviously, huge amount of growth, almost like a crazy amount last couple of years. What are the things that keep you up at night? 
about Nashville? Yeah, yeah, that's these questions are so good, Brian. Nashville's growth is impressive and exciting. And, you know, I mentioned it, it's, it's allowing me to meet a lot of interesting people from California, New York, and so forth. What happens uh, in communities is the disparities and the gaps get wider without vision, intentionality, and a lot of hard work to, you know, ensure as many people um, participate in that prosperity as possible. And so I think that's where Nashville is. I think that um, we are figuring out who we want to be when we grow up. And um, my hope is that we bring as many neighbors and citizens of Nashville into that prosperity that folks um, who are transplanting here are experiencing. Um, and so gentrification keeps me up at night and stories of you know, folks who have lived in their community for 20 years now being displaced because of increasing rents. Yeah, education, public education, workforce development, um, are we preparing Nashvillians to benefit from the jobs that are being created in our economy? There's a lot to, to keep an engaged citizen up at night. Yeah, I know my own, this is anecdotal, but it feels like I've been here 15 years and, you know, I lived in 12 South originally and my kids go to school near Vanderbilt. So I still have the opportunity to go into the, into the quote unquote city. And if, I feel like every, you know, community black church that I used to know has been They've sold the dirt right to yeah. developers and they, the money's crazy. And, you know, membership has probably been down demographically. That's been a, the case across the country and sad to see him go. And I, I don't know what the right answer there is, right? That's a very complex question or issue, but I feel like it's not one people talk about very much. So, right. No. And, 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 you know, you're right. I don't either. I don't know exactly the solutions to, to these things. But as an entrepreneur, I do believe that if there is robust conversation and interest in looking at the issues, creative solutions can emerge, right? You know, one of the most exciting things for me as a parent of kids in public school during the pandemic and the virtual learning and all that stuff was, wow, this is an opportunity to rethink how we educate kids. I don't know that we fully optimized or leveraged that opportunity. Um, but you have parents who were struggling. You had a, a district that invested in technology that allowed for every kid in, in Nashville to have a laptop. Um, and, you know, partnerships that allowed hotspots in areas that didn't have easy access to internet. Not that school needs to be virtual, but like, does the calendar still need to be 10 months? We know parents need access to quality childcare all year round because we're working. How do we blend learning using technology and, and classroom instruction at a time where teacher shortages exist and all these things? I think that problems in communities is where entrepreneurship and innovation thrives, you know, if, if we're interested in solving the problem. You're an inveterate networker. But and not to be cliche, but it really is relationship building for you. You've got a family, you're working at a fast growing company, you're very involved in the community. You know, how do you manage all of those hats and, and what do you do 
for your own self to carve out some Harry Allen time? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I do enough of it. Uh, you know, I could use some more Harry Allen time. You know, for me, it's having a vision for the type of life you want to lead and identifying and defining the non-negotiables as early as possible. So when I had my first child, I decided that I wouldn't commit time to a board that regularly met in the evenings um, because I wanted to be present and read the bedtime stories and act silly after work with my kids. And so it became easy to say no to things that didn't fit that requirement. I also only get involved in causes that I'm extremely passionate about, no matter how flattering the ask is or who asks, because I know working in my passion gives me energy and isn't draining. And so, you know, it's self-awareness. It's um, defining the boundary and the non-negotiables and, you know, realizing that you're not going to be valuable to any one you're serving, including your family, if you run yourself run yourself ragged. Something all entrepreneurs struggle with, including myself. Yeah. How did you all come up with the symbol for the bank? And the were, you, were you, was that your call? No. So Aaron Doran, <laughs> our, our CEO, and uh, he's, he's who invited me to this crazy journey. So Avenue Bank, where we worked together uh, prior to studio, had a hummingbird as its logo. And so I think Aaron you know, understood the power of that differentiated brand element in a really crowded market and, you know, having the ability to build a story around this bird that can fly backwards and forwards and be really responsive caused him to think about an animal as part of the logo. A dog, you know, has qualities of loyal companionship, kind of what, what we thought of as ourselves as bankers. And then I think the French bulldog was just kind of quirky. You know, it has the stature and stockiness of a bulldog, but not the aggression. You don't really take it as seriously. Owners dress them up in bow ties and glasses and things. And so it had this quirky element to it um, that people see them and smile. And so it made us different. People like dogs for the most part. Um, it's, not, it's not much deeper than that. I don't think it has to be. I, I think that could be fine. And as a former client of Avenue, I definitely feel that same energy with you all. And like no. I said, I, I usually, you know, I send a lot of folks your way and you always take good care of them. So if people are interested in learning more about kind of what you all are doing over there, who you serve, maybe connecting with you, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch? So our website is uh, www.studiobank.com. We are very active on Instagram, LinkedIn, follow us, connect with us. You can email me directly, harry.allen at studiobank.com. And we would be honored to, to serve for sure. Harry, I want to thank you for all you do to the community and for taking the time out of what I'm sure is a very busy day to join me. And uh, I definitely encourage people to reach out and learn more about what you all are doing in town. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brian. All right. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 